that changed your life. Some of us can remember a day like that, and I'd like you to think with me this morning about a guy who had a day that that changed his life. There's also a concept that I would like to share with you today that could dramatically change your life as well. This guy's name was Jacob, and I'd like you to read, I'm going to read this event that took place in his life, and this man was never the same. Genesis 32, verse 22, that night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Now the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So let's just put this in context. We start in the beginning of the Bible, and we have the first few chapters tell us about, number one, creation. So that would be number one, creation. Then we have the curse, which comes upon man through sin. And that curse and that sin separate people from God. And so then early on, very early on, in the book of Genesis, we find the beginning of the covenant. And the purpose of the covenant is to bring man back to God. It's to bring you back to God. It's to deal with the curse that came into the world. And so in order to do that, God begins to work through people. And he starts with a guy by the name of Abraham. Remember him? Abraham, his wife Sarah, they were almost, they were getting to be really old people. And God said, you're you're still going to have a son. And they were nearly 100 years old before finally miraculously they had a boy and they named him Isaac. Isaac grew up and Isaac married Rebekah and they had two sons and when Rebekah was pregnant she noticed that there was almost like a wrestling match going on in her womb and she prayed to God and and God told her yeah you're right. These two sons are already fighting and they're not even out of the womb and they will represent two nations which will fight one another, which would be Israel and Palestine today. And so they were born, and so 
we have Esau and Jacob came out holding on to Esau's heel as if to say, wait a minute, buddy, you're not getting ahead of me here. In fact, Jacob's name means heel grabber. And so we see here that Jacob is the third generation in this covenant family in which God is working. He's about 100 years old in the text I just read. He has two wives, two maidservants, and about 11 kids. And so this is basically the background to, to the story. Now, Jacob grew up. He left home at a time when after tricking his father and stealing the, the blessing of the firstborn and hearing the threat that his brother Esau was going to kill him, he left, went to his uncle's place. There's where he married Rachel and Leah, and they began having their family. Then he, as he grew and his family grew and his herds grew, he left Laban and took off and went to a place called Canaan. And, and now at this point, God had called him back to his home, back to the place where he grew up. And so Jacob is heading back there. And as he's going back there, what he discovers is that Esau is coming out to meet him with 400 men. That's a small army. And Jacob has, I mean, he has nothing else he can think but that his brother is finally going to settle, settle the vendetta that he had against him. And so Jacob here is in a panic, and he's, he's, he's trying to figure out what to do, so he develops this plan. The only thing he knows what to do, and he divides his family up into, into several groups, and what he's going to do is he's going to send them in ahead of him in, in waves, and each one is going to have gifts. And he's going to, it was over 500 of his livestock that he was going to gift to his brother. And then hopefully they were to say, these are gifts from, from your brother Jacob, and he's coming after us. And the plan was that when all of these gifts had been given, then finally that Jacob would come and hopefully his brother, his heart would be softened and he would be willing to accept his brother. So the whole plan is set. Jacob sends his family and, and everyone across the river. So everyone leaves the camp and Jacob goes back, and there he is, and he's all alone. I don't know what was going through his mind, but I can't help but think that he was thinking back over his life because this very well in Jacob's mind could be the last day of his life. There's no doubt in my mind that Jacob very well thought that this might be the end of the road for him. And, and not only for him, but maybe for his entire family. He's thinking back. He's thinking back about his long list of broken relationships, the string of man manipulative events that took on, that, that Jacob was involved in, in order to try and, and find something that he was searching for in his life. And so he has this long string of unresolved relationships. He has his brother who was so angry with him that he had vowed to kill him. 
as he deceived his brother out of his birthright. Then we see that he had, you know, he, he was out of relationship with his father. His father had a favorite, and it wasn't Jacob. And it was very obvious. And so he grew up with this, this pain in his heart that his father did not love him. We see that he, uh, he had a very poor relationship with uh, his mother, who was very manipulative. He was not in good relationship with Laban, his uncle, who was back and forth, each of them manipulating each other in a number of occasions. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg. All of the tensions between Rachel and Leah and Jacob and the kids, and you can just imagine what went on in that family. It was a very dysfunctional family. And now he's sitting here probably the last day of his life. He's in a tough spot. We see in verse 22, we see that he got up, took his two wives, two maidservants, 11 sons, crossed the fort of Jabak. After he'd sent them across, it says he was left all alone. But then all of a sudden, there, all alone, he senses something. You ever been someplace and you just sense that something's there? And he turned around and here's a man. And it, it doesn't tell us what the conversation was, but it, what it does tell us is these two men began, began to wrestle. And so when he saw this man, there was, there was obviously a sense of conflict and contention here. And the text tells us that they wrestled throughout the night. It's quite a scene. And evidently, this man was trying to, to, trying to uh, bring Jacob into submission. He was trying to, to get him to, to tap out in this relationship, in this, in this wrestling match, and Jacob wouldn't do it. And so it says when the man realized, when he realized this, it says in verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now the word touch there means, the Hebrew word that's used there uh, means very light touch or like a tap. So like if you just took your finger and, and just tapped on something, that, that's what is, is trying to be communicated here. That this man simply just lightly touched the hip and at that point, Jacob realized that this was no normal man. That there was something supernatural going on here because with that touch, his hip was dislocated from his socket. And then he says something very interesting. In the midst of his pain, in the midst of that, this is what he says to the man because you would think that when someone had been wrestling with you all night, they just put your hip out of joint that if they wanted to walk away, that you'd let them go, right? I mean, you would think that would be the response, but that was not the response. This is what Jacob says. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. 
And you see, all of Jacob's life, he had wanted someone to bless him. Many of you have grown up with a parent of whom you did not receive their blessing. You know that ache. You know that longing for them to just, to just come and to bless you. And so we find that Jacob here grew up, and, th and then, then the tensions with his brother and all of the dysfunction in his life, and he had this longing for someone to bless him. And all his life, he had manipulated people to try and get this blessing. His father blessed him, yeah, but he, he, he had to masquerade as someone else to get that blessing. And now this night, Jacob here is encountering someone that, that he realizes is God. And he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then the man asks him something interesting. He says, tell me, what is, what is your name? In other words, he's saying, who are you? Jacob said, my name is deceiver. My name is manipulator. My name is heel grabber. My name is Jacob. And in that moment, God blesses Jacob's life. And, you know, it doesn't tell us, it, it's, it's just, I would love to know what, what, what actually happened in that moment. But in that moment, as a representation, as a, as a symbol of this blessing, this person that he was wrestling with is really was, was God that was with him says, I am going to give you a new name. We're going to, I'm going to change your name. You're no, longer going to become, you're no longer going to be a deceiver and a manipulator. That's going to be something from the past. You are going to be called Israel, which means, and we're not exactly sure what Israel means, but the essence of it, it means one who strives with God. And, and what it seems to be is, this is a man who has strove with God and has has overcome. This is a man who has been broken by God and who now has been blessed. And in some way, shape, or form, if you are a Christian today, at, at some point in your life, in some way, in some shape, some form, this has been the story of your life, that you have encountered God and you have been brought to a place of submission and, and you have been blessed in so doing. And it was such a powerful thing that Jacob had to name the spot. He says, I have to name this place. And he, and he put up some stones because he wanted to remember this place in that night. And so we see here that he says, this is the night I, was, I wrestled with God and I survived and I was blessed by God. Joseph would have a limp for the rest of his life. And it was a constant reminder of this night and the brokenness that had been required and the submission that had been required in his life. I, I think it's interesting that when Jacob goes back, <coughs> it's interesting that his plan changed. Because if you remember earlier, the plan was send all the wives and children and all the gifts and all the goods and then I will follow up at the very end and I will go to my brother and see now. I will try and buy his acceptance in my life. And I just think it's interesting that in chapter 33, verses 2 and 3, it says, 
He then he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear, and he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. So there is a there is a new strength. There is something that has changed about this man, and he now goes out and, and is the first one to meet his brother. And for those of you who don't know the story, his, his brother was overjoyed to see him. His, his brother had not come out to take his life. And there was an amazing reunion and, and the beginning of, of renewed relationships in the life of this man. It's a powerful story. I'm sure it was the day that if you ask Jacob, what was the greatest day of your life? This, this was the day. So this morning, what do we learn from this story? <clears throat> now I have a very simple message this morning. There's just one thing that I want you to hear this morning. Just one thing. You know, every one of us in this room is looking for a blessing. Every one of us in this room is looking to be blessed. You were created to live in a relationship of blessing with the God that made you. And if, if, you, if, if you're... You know, if you have never experienced that, you are longing for that. That is an unfulfilled desire in your life. We all look for to be blessed. Another way to do it is that we, we all look to worship something. We all look to connect with something greater than who we are that will bless us and give our life meaning and give our life purpose. And maybe you're here this morning and you've grown up in a home like Jacob. There's a lot of people that can relate to this home that Jacob grew up in with, with all the tension and all the dysfunction and playing favorites and, and all of this stuff. Or maybe it wasn't at home. You know, maybe, maybe it's at school where you know you're not one of the popular ones. You know that, that you're not in that group of people. We experience this rejection in many ways in our lives. And often, we, we just cannot get rid of those feelings and rid of those thoughts when we think about ourselves. This situation, this missing, this blessing, is the story of all of our lives on some level. And so our lives are kind of like a vacuum cleaner. We have this drawing force within us. And as we live out our lives, wherever we go, it's always seeking to grab onto something. You know, some hobby or some habit or something or whatever it is, it just we're we're always we're always on in terms of this this desire to, to receive this blessing in our lives. And so God is is writing this redemptive story in which what he's seeking to do is restore and help us find this blessing in our relationship with him. That's what the redemptive story is all about. That's what God is trying to do in your life and in my life. And idolatry is, is just trying to find that blessing somewhere else. That's what it is. In money, in, in, we've talked about them, success, in sex, in work, in romantic love, individualism, comfort. 
We haven't even talked about drugs. We haven't talked about food. We haven't talked about exercise. We haven't talked about religious activity, but it can be anything. It can be anything. An idol can be anything in your life that you try and, where you try and find that blessing that only, that only God can give. So here's the truth that I want you to take away this morning. We have been talking about these idols. And it's not an exhaustive list, but for the last several months, and maybe you've identified some in your life. Here's the thing I want you to know. You cannot simply remove an idol from your life. You cannot simply remove an idol. You have to replace it. You cannot simply remove an idol. You have to replace it. So, if your problem is food, what do you do? You go on a diet, right? That won't do it. How many of you tried and found out that doesn't do it? Uh, you're a workaholics. What do you do? You need to take more vacation. That won't do it. You uh, spend too much money. You're a spender. What do you need to do? I need to just start saving money. That will not do it. So now food is no longer your idol. Now how you look becomes your idol. And every morning you're just you're looking in the mirror and all you can think about is how you look and that becomes now the replacement idol. Or now it's no longer work, now you live for your time off. And all you can think about is how you can, how you can have this time off in the next vacation time. Now spending and buying is no longer your idol, now it's how much you can put away. And so we all have this vacuum within us. We will worship something. We will long for something. And if it isn't God, it will be something else. If he does not occupy the central place in our heart, then something else will. That's what Jesus said in, in Luke eleven twenty four. 24. Notice what he says here. Chapter 11, verse 24, he says, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. It goes in and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. In other words, if you take an idol out of your life and you clean everything up and you don't replace it, something else will move in promise you, something else will move in, and it may be worse than what you took out. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so when Christ, when Christ is abiding in your life, and idolatry knocks, and Christ comes to the door, he says, uh-uh, there's somebody already living here, you're not welcome. If Christ isn't abiding in that place, then idolatry will just move in. The same is true in the rooms of our house. If Christ has not been given access to a certain room in, in my house or yours, there's nothing that will keep an idol from moving in and living there. So here's where we're going over the next couple months. 
And uh, if you're following along, you can write this down. The power to recognize and remove idols in our lives. The power to recognize and remove idols in our lives comes through the abiding presence of Christ in our hearts. It comes to the abiding presence of Christ in our hearts. So the way to deal with idolatry, the way to be free of idols, is to understand and learn and experience what does it mean for Christ to abide in my life? What does it mean for Christ to abide in your life? You know, Jacob knew about God. I, I'm, convinced, I'm convinced of that, but I'm not convinced he knew God. In fact, I don't think that, that he did because in, in Genesis 28, before this, and in Genesis 28, in verse 21, this is, this is what he said to God. Then jo Jacob made a vow saying, God, if you will be with me and will watch over me on the journey I'm taking, you'll give me food to eat, clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. God, if you jump through these hoops in my life, then, then, then I will pronounce that you are my God. Then you will be my God. And I think that night down by the river, alone, which is often where God has to take us, everything stripped away, the most desperate point in his life, God met Jacob there and it, and it changed his life. No longer did he need to manipulate others to be blessed. No longer did he need to run after the idols he had chased. He had found blessing in the only place that we can find it. In a deep encounter with God and the abiding presence of Christ. I'm going to conclude with a uh, song, and I'm going to have Rob put that up right now. I'd like you to look at the words to this song, written by Tracy Sturm, uh, a young gal, musician, recently turned Christian, and uh, just listen to the words as she sings them, uh, description really of her life.
Father, this morning we acknowledge that you are a jealous God, that you desire us for yourself because you are <coughs> our creator. You are the one, the only one that can bless our lives. And Father, we get deceived by so many things, so many idols in this world. So, Father, would you teach us for these next few weeks what it means to allow you to be God, allow you to be in that place, in that deepest place of our hearts. Father, we so easily wander, we so are so easily deceived, we so easily slip away. So, Father, we pray that you would Fill that place in our lives. And may we, uh, Father, seek you with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and submit everything in our lives to, to your presence and to your work. Father, we, uh, we, we worship you now through, through the table that we will approach, through these songs. And Lord, we, we just want to worship you for and acknowledge that you are 
the only God and you are the only one that we can trust with our lives. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.